And as you're turning there to Joshua 13, I was going to say imagine that you were watching something on closed circuit TV, but then I just realized that sounds really old. So imagine instead you're watching on Facebook Live, right? So we know what this is now, Uh, this, this live feed that people do of all sorts of things on Facebook. Imagine it's on Facebook Live, and you're seeing, you're witnessing a family that's gathered together at a lawyer's office. And they're all around this giant conference table, and the contents of a last will and testament are being read. The 1988 Oldsmobile goes to so-and-so. Fourteen place settings of bone china go to so-and-so. On and on and on it goes. And then it gets to pieces of property. And the lawyer continues, tax map ID 725-42, blah, blah, blah. Lot 3, block 4, parcel 6 of the so-and-so subdivision is left to so-and-so. Now, you may be the exception, right? But I think most of us would tire of that pretty quickly and would find something else to watch instead of all these boring details that don't really pertain to us. And they're just of no interest. We're, we're, too, we're too far detached for it to be of any interest to us. But now imagine that instead of watching it on Facebook Live or whatever else, You're watching this process unfold not on a screen, but from a seat at that table. Because you've been told, hey, you need to be here today because your name is mentioned in the will. You're going to inherit something. Would that then all of a sudden be a little less boring to you? Might you find it easier to pay attention to those details. And instead of being boring details, you'd be sitting there on the edge of your seat waiting to hear your name called and find out if it's the 1988 Oldsmobile or if it's a house or what it might be that you stand to inherit. Last week, we entered into the middle chapters of Joshua where there are lots of details It's about an inheritance, actually. And so there's all kinds of details about land allotments and property descriptions. And to us, frankly, these things can be kind of boring. It's like watching someone else's thing on Facebook Live that doesn't pertain to us. But it's helpful for us to remember that all these details and descriptions in these middle chapters of Joshua were actually quite interesting to the family that was gathered around the table that day, waiting to hear their names called, waiting to find out what it was that they were inheriting. For, For the folks for whom this book was originally written to God's people back then, They were quite interested in these middle sections of Joshua. They didn't find them boring at all. And so if you and I are going to get anything out of these details and details and details, right? then we've got to seek to understand 
how the original hearers of this book would have heard and received and understood it. And how they, in fact, would not have been bored at all, but they would have been very excited. And so this is where we've got to start. This is where we've got to start. If these middle chapters are going to mean something to us, we've got to find out, well, what did it mean to them? We've got to think about what it meant to them as a people who for 400 years had been waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. And God had done all these crazy and amazing things to get them to the point where they were, where it was being fulfilled. And so here's what it meant to them. It meant God's faithful. Despite our sin, despite all these external obstacles, he is absolutely faithful. And so that's the kind of thing that we need to take away from it, not land descriptions and allotments and table land and blah, blah, blah. No. What we're seeing is a picture of God's absolute faithfulness to his people, his provision for his people. But admittedly, when we're stuck in the minutia of, and here's just one verse, for example, from Arower, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Mediba as far as Dibon, and the cities of Sion, king of the Amor. Y'all, when we're stuck in the middle of that, it's a little hard to, to say, oh, God's faithfulness. That's what I'm supposed to take out of all of these details. It's hard to feel like the Bible is speaking to us. And honestly, isn't that what we want? We just sang a whole song about it. Speak, O Lord. Right? When, when we sit down with God's Word, maybe it's uh, you're, you're sitting down to do your, your Trinity Together reading that we're going through this plan together. And you're sitting down, you're opening up, and you're thinking, man, I really want God to speak to me from His Word. Right? Or, or you might be approaching God's Word with some particular need. Right? You've got a decision to make, so you're going to God's Word to see if it'll help you. Or you're, you're afraid about something. Or you're discouraged about something. And so you're going to God's Word to help. I, I pulled off my shelf this morning my book of precious Bible promises. Right? Sometimes, and so this is kind of the shortcut. Right? So you can just look in the table of contents and you say, oh, here's my current emotional state. And here are some verses that go along with that. Oh, good. There's a, there's a verse uh, that, I, that I can find. Which is, is more helpful, I guess, than if you had opened up your daily Bible reading and it happened to be Joshua 13. And you're like, oh, but I wanted some help here. <laughs> I wanted God to speak to me in my, in my circumstance. And, and gosh, this is what I've got for today. And so you flip and you search and, and you find some verse somewhere that you can claim. And you find it and you say, oh, finally, here's something that speaks to my need or my situation. And so we, we claim it. We put it on a T-shirt or you make a cute little thing and you put it on your Instagram, right, uh, of that verse. Y'all, but here's often what we're doing when we do that. we're either taking some verse out of its context, right? And, and, and we're, we're using it in some way that it, was, it didn't mean that back then, right? Paul was not talking about success at a baseball game, right? When he can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's not it, right? And so that's one way that we, that we might 
veer off track. But even if it's not that, y'all, we're very often, if we just look and we find, oh, well, here's this one verse about fear, and I'm just going to hang on to this one verse about fear, y'all, we're often shortchanging ourselves. Because the verse about fear is attached to this big thing that God was doing for his people in the grand scope of redemptive history, how he was saving a people and calling them to himself, which if we grasp the whole of that, will help us a whole lot more with our fear problem than any one little verse that we might cling to out of its context. So, as you read your Bible, as you're eagerly desiring for God to speak to you, We've got to remember this principle. And it's not just for Joshua, it's for all of God's Word. We've got to understand what God was saying to them before we can understand what God's saying to us. Or, or to put it another way, and I've got... There, there it is. The back screen's not on, so I'll have to... Um, yeah, Scripture can never mean what it never meant. Does that make sense? Right? It can never mean to us today something that it did not mean to its original hearers back then. Now, the application might look different in Orangeburg in 2017 than it did in the Promised Land in 1400 B.C. or or whenever this was. The application might look a little different, but the, the truth and the meaning of who God is and what he has done and what he promises to do for his people, that's going to always stay the same, right? It can't mean what it never meant. Right. And so that's something we've got to hang on to. And I know this is probably the longest sermon introduction in history, but that's okay. The sermon itself isn't quite that long. But, y'all, this is an important principle that we've got to take for all of our Bible reading, for all of our Bible study. The very first thing that we've got to do, if we want it to speak to us, if we want to know what it means for us, we've got to know what it was speaking to those people first. We've got to know what it meant to them first. That's the very first step. Now, for this morning, for these middle chapters with all of these details, I've selected several verses out of 13 and 14, and they're printed in your worship folder. They'll be up on the screen. And I do believe that if we keep in mind first what they meant to them, then we will hear him speaking to us today. We will. So if you're able, I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to read through these selected verses of 13 and 14. So 13.1, this is the word of God. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. And so the next verses that we're going to skip over, just describe in great detail all the land that's left to possess. And then we'll pick up again in the second half of verse 6. God speaking, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites receive their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. All right, so we're dealing with both sides of the Jordan River. We had Two and a half tribes receiving their inheritance on the east, right? Not in the promised land proper, right? The other nine and a half tribes are all getting their land in in the promised land proper on the west side of, of the Jordan. Picking up in verse 13. 
Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and Maacath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. Now let's jump down into uh, verse, uh, chapter 14, beginning verse 6. And this is what's happening on the west side. All right, so this is the, the promised land proper, and here's what's going on. The people of Judah, verse 6, came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kinsonite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now (coughs) is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. All right, that's God's word. It's inspired by this Holy Spirit. It's authoritative for all of our life. It is inerrant, and it's infallible. Let's pray now. God, we need help always. In understanding this, we need uh, help to understand what it meant to, to Caleb to hear these things, what it meant to Joshua, what it meant to your people as you were being faithful to your promise to divvy up this land and to give it to them to possess. Lord, we need uh, as best as we can with your help to understand what that meant so we can understand what it means, so that we can understand how you want to apply it to our lives today this week even. So help us. Help us to see ultimately how this is one piece of your whole redemptive plan, how ultimately it's pointing to Christ and the work that he's completed for us. We pray in the power of his name, expecting you to answer. Amen. Please be seated. So three things that I want us to see from this assortment of verses. And again, seeing first or seeking to see first what it meant to them so that then we can understand what God is speaking to us. You've got an outline in your worship folder. The first thing to see is God's sure and certain faithfulness. So with chapter 13, we're really entering into a new section of Joshua. If you divided Joshua into three parts, uh, the first four chapters would be uh, entering into the land, Right, So you remember that in very dramatic fashion, how they entered into the land. And then the next section would have been uh, taking the land, right? also in rather dramatic fashion. And now comes the issue of actually possessing it. And so we see in verse 1 
there's lots of land left to possess. So essentially at this point, God's people have conquered the middle portion of the promised land. Very significant chunk. It's given them the upper hand. But there's still these outlying parts. There's, there's still the, the border, if you will, the, the, over the coast, especially up north. There's some lands left to be possessed. But we've also got this interesting mention of Joshua's age here. He's getting on up there. Right? He's advanced in years. And there's still a lot of work to do. So, so what now? Well, what we have here is this nearly constant refrain that we've seen throughout Joshua. You see it there in the second half of verse 6. God says once again, right, I'm going to do it. Right? Here it is. It needs to be done, and I'm going to do it. Over and over and over again, we've seen that in Joshua. So, so Joshua's decrepitude isn't any hindrance to God. So sure and certain, in fact, is God's promise that you might as well go ahead and divvy up the land now because this happening, right? Go ahead, divide it up. Here's how it's going to work because the promise will be fulfilled. All right, so here's, what, here's the thing we need to see and understand here. As we're trying to think about what this meant to them so that we'll know what it means to us, how God is speaking to us, parceling out the land, divvying it up, was celebrating God's faithfulness to his people. Promise made over 400 years ago, right? We talked about last week, he might not be in as big of a hurry as we sometimes are, but he is faithful. He will make good on his promises. He will keep his word. And his faithfulness isn't limited by our limitations, right? It's not limited by Joshua's old age, right? We've already seen the mortality of his servants doesn't keep his work from progressing. He's faithful, sure, and certain. Second thing on your outline is this problem of partial obedience. So this little, verse 13, did you notice this little problem that gets thrown in there? Almost as like an aside, it almost doesn't even fit, right? But they didn't drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites. But they still dwell there to this day. Now, why is this included? Well, it's foreshadowing of problems to come. And it's going to happen two more times in Joshua. It's going to happen again in 15, chapter 15. It's going to happen again in 17, where they conquered these places, but they didn't finish the job. They didn't completely drive out the people or devote them to destruction. Now, it might seem like nitpicking, because we've got the whole account here. We've got this whole record, and if you look at it, it's pretty impressive. They drove out a ton of folks. Scads of people were devoted to destruction and just wiped out. So is it really that big of a deal that they didn't wipe out every single one? Well, yeah, it it kind of is, because God had given them some pretty specific and explicit instructions for some very good reasons. Um, Deuteronomy 12, uh, 29. Uh, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, 
Take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. So yeah, it's a, it's a problem. It's a problem that God's people obeyed, but not completely. They obeyed, but they didn't see it all the way through. They didn't persevere. Y'all, and it could have been for any variety of reasons, right? It could have just been laziness, right? Maybe they were tired, right? There's a lot of battles and stuff in here. Maybe they were tired. Maybe they started relying on their own strength. Maybe it was fear. Maybe fear crept in. Maybe they they begin to doubt. Maybe maybe this is the people that God's not going to show up for and and he's not going to drive these guys out, right? Or or, or maybe this warning from Deuteronomy, they just, they failed to take it seriously. They said, ah, it's no big deal. Okay, so let's do this again, right? What did it mean to them? So we'll know what it means to us. Okay. Do we struggle at times with partial obedience? Rhetorical question. Um, perhaps for any of those same reasons. Perhaps we're lazy. Perhaps we're tired. Perhaps we're trying to do it on our own strength. Perhaps we've let fear creep in and doubt. And we're thinking, well, you know, he has shown up. Here, 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 and here. But maybe this is going to be the time that he doesn't. Or is it because we don't take God's word seriously? See, we're often unfaithful in what we consider to be unimportant. And here's something sobering to consider in light of that. Did Israel's partial obedience cause for them any immediate crisis? No. Will it bring about a crisis later? Yes. If you know the the story. So our partial obedience very often doesn't have immediate short-term consequences, but that doesn't mean there won't be consequences what it meant to them, what it means to us. So that verse 13 there is somewhat of a negative example by foreshadowing problems to come. We'll conclude in chapter 14 with a positive example of bold faith. Because whatever Israel's problems were in not driving out the Geshurites and the Meacathites, Caleb seems to have a good example of all the opposite of those things, right? He was not lazy, despite his old age. He was not afraid. 
He wasn't trying in his own strength, but it seems pretty clear that he's recognizing that his strength comes from the Lord. And he certainly does take God's word seriously. Um, Look at this next screen. It's too small for you to read necessarily, but I've taken those verses 6 through 12 and highlighted in red every reference where Caleb is, is making reference to what God has said either himself directly or through Moses, what he has promised, what he has sworn to do. Caleb is fixated on it. He is zeroed in on what God has said and on what God has promised to do. It comes up over and over and over as Caleb's making this big speech and making this audacious request. It is just saturated through and through with God said, God said, God said, God swore. That's what he's banking on. That's the the basis of all this so that he might make a really courageous and bold request that we see in verse 12. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be, perhaps, peradventure, I think the King James says, the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. All right, so what's so special about this request? What's going on here? Why does Caleb want this land out of all the lands? Why does he specifically want to request this land? Well, if you remember, Caleb was one of the 12 spies. Back in Numbers 13, Twelve spies were sent into the promised land, and they come back with their reports. And ten are scared to death, but Caleb, along with Joshua, come back and say, oh, we can do it, we can do it. Uh, so, Numbers uh, thirteen twenty seven. and they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. This is the report of the ten. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However... The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Anakites, these giants, these strong beasts of men. And so the ten were very afraid, and they said, no way, we can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb come back with a very different report. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. And occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Very different take on things. And so it's in the next chapter, chapter 14 of Numbers, when God is declaring, All right, this wicked and rebellious people, this present generation, none of them are going to see the promised land. They're going to die in the wilderness. But he makes an exception for these faithful spies. And so in in chapter 14, verse 24, we see this exclusion for Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. So this land that Caleb reported about, this very scary land with big bad dudes and big bad cities, God promised, I'm going to give it to him and to his descendants because he had the eyes of faith to see what God might do. 
And so we see here in Joshua 14 the fulfillment of that promise. Even though the Anakites are still there, right? You saw that. They're still there. The cities are still there. They're still big and fortified. But Caleb is still trusting. It's still no big deal to him now, just like 40 years ago it wasn't, or 45 years ago it wasn't a big deal then. Because he knows God can do it. He's clinging to every word and promise God has said about this, and he's not shrinking back at all. And so verse 14 of our passage today in chapter 14 gives us the result. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. All right, one more time. Let's do this again. What it meant, what it means. Right, what did it mean for Caleb to wholly follow the Lord and what does it mean for us to wholly follow the Lord? Well, let's flesh it out a bit. Right? Do we, like Caleb, recognize that any strength that we might have in us comes directly from him? Any ability we might have to come or go or to fight or to possess, to obey, comes from him. That was Caleb's recognition, right? He's kind of astonished by it. I'm really old, but I'm still just as strong as I was back then, right? This is the Lord's doing. The Lord has done this. The Lord has kept me alive. Do we, like Caleb, have a similar recognition that it must be him at work in me? And here's the other one, and this is the big one, I think. Do we, like Caleb, know and cling tightly to the word and the promise of God? Right? Remember the screen that had all the the red things? It was just permeated all through his speaking, right? God said, God said, God swore, God promised, right? Is that true of us? Are we going about our affairs clinging desperately and tightly, tenaciously to what God has said and what God has promised? Do we know his word? Do we cling to it as if it's a really big deal? As if it's something that we ought to fully obey? Can we, like Caleb, cling to it even if it takes a really long time to come to pass? And and finally, can you and I connect the dots? Can we connect the dots from the bold faith that Caleb had in God's Word and in God's promise to defeat the Anakim and to get him into those large fortified cities? Can we connect the dots and have the bold faith today that God not only can but already has defeated our greatest enemies that are a lot larger than the Anakim? Can we cling to the promise of His Word and of His Gospel that through the work of Christ, through His righteous life, through His sacrificial death in our place, He has defeated our enemies. Sin and death are defeated. They're done. Divide up the promised land because it's a done deal. It's ours for the taking because our enemies have been defeated. We've been set free.
That's, that's God's word. That's his promise. It's for our taking. It's for our clinging to and believing and trusting boldly because he's faithful. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you indeed help us to connect those dots and to not let this ultimately be about some parcel of land in the Middle in the Middle East, but that it would be about seeing over and over and over again your absolute, your sure and certain faithfulness. Would it be about seeing how one of your servants clung to every word you said, every promise you made, that we might do the same. That we might cling and that we might trust, that we might believe. Oh Lord, grant the gift of your faith that it might be so. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.